When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. This episode of Writing Excuses has been brought to you by Audible.com. If you would like to support this podcast and start a 30-day trial membership, visit audiblepodcast.com slash excuse. Season 11, Episode 17. This is Writing Excuses Q&A on Adventure. 15 minutes long. Because you're in a hurry. And you've got questions. I'm Brandon. I'm Mary. I'm Dan. And I've got answers. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I'm going so with my s- friends. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll see how good they are. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we will. Uh, we went to Twitter and Facebook, and these are your questions about the element of adventure. In an adventure story, what is more liked by readers if protagonists go through many different incidents and locations or a fewer number of incidents and locations but that are similar to each other and have a theme? Because both of those those sound awesome. I think you should write one book about each because readers are different. It just, it depends on what you're trying to do, you know? If if you're doing a kind of big globetrotting... Mm-hmm. Uh, James Bond, Indiana Jones kind of thing, then the more cool exotic locations, the better. Whereas if you're trying to tell something that maybe is a little more personal or a little more smaller scale, right. then, yeah. I, I mean, I would say that even if they are thematically linked, part of what people are looking for with adventure is the sense of going to someplace new. Mm-hmm. So that you would actually want to have multiple locations. You know, and I think this also might be a distinction between an adventure story and a story using the element of adventure yeah. to enhance. Yeah. An adventure story, I think Mary's got it. You need to be going to different locations and things, or at least having different phases of exciting, exotic yeah. adventure. If, if you've got two pieces that are set in the same or in very similar locations, you have to do something super new with it the second time. Right. This isn't to say you have to go to different countries all the time, but you're like, part one is climb the mountain. Part two is find the cool caves in the mountain. Part three is find the hidden city underneath the mountain. Those are three distinct set pieces, but taking place in the same location, but they're so different. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, next question, J.C. Holder asks, what lessons can we take from your favorite adventure games for writing adventure fiction? Mm, I mentioned uh, Peter Molyneux uh, either mm-hmm. last week or three weeks ago. Um, if you can find, uh, especially video games in which the it is not a flat fight, in which it's in, in which there is uh, uh, <laughs> there are multiple levels of terrain. There are there's an environment you can interact with. Um, I've found that those are much much more interesting to play 
Uh, mm-hmm. I've been playing XCOM 2, and I love the environments where there are things that I can blow up. <laughs> it's, I don't just have to shoot my enemies. Sometimes I can shoot the car they're hiding behind. Uh, and that that little bit of... So, that, yeah. There, there was a piece of Game Master advice in the old West End Star Wars role-playing game that said, every character in your party has a different strength. So make sure that each adventure session has a chase scene, a fight scene, and a talking scene. And I always think about that when I'm plotting out a book, to make sure that I'm including different kinds of Mm. adventure. That's Mm. a great suggestion. I like that one. I think that's something we may have missed in the other podcasts. Yeah, the thing I would say is D&D would be my adventure fiction Mm -hmm. of choice, or adventure game of choice. And um, naturally in D&D, there's something at risk, you Mm -hmm. know, your character may die, but it is personal because you are playing. And that is something that I think a lot of times when people are building an adventure that sometimes they'll be like, oh, I'll have this explosion, but it doesn't put anything personal at risk for the character. Okay. And I, I think that that for me would be the thing. With all the superhero franchises around, what are some tips on writing adventure stories outside of fight scenes and world ending consequences? Well, I think we've covered some of this by saying exotic locations don't have to include a fight scene. Um, The superhero movies tend to play off of this, you know, external villain. But you can have great adventures with no villains. Yeah, Mm -hmm. the, uh, um, uh, it's it's an accelerated time bomb format, uh, escaping the burning building, getting out of the path of the avalanche, getting to the hospital before the baby is born or before you bleed out or whatever. Uh, mm-hmm. These are all cases in which you are racing through a complex and shifting environment and something very important is at stake, uh, And but you're not actually fighting anybody. Yeah, the, the uh, Indiana Jones, again, you know, yep. going into the temple and back out of the temple and the, the, the giant boulder. The giant mm-hmm. boulder is, you know, Right, not a world-ending consequence. Not a world-ending mm-hmm. consequence. Not a fight scene. Not a fight scene. Um, you could argue that the giant boulder is his antagonist in that moment, yep. but it's not a person. And another lesson from Indiana Jones or movies like this and stories like this is you can have an antagonist who is not a supervillain, who is just somebody else trying to get the thing mm-hmm. that the main character is trying to get. And presenting these kind of two opposing teams, it's like, you know, the the TV show Survivor, right? Or something like this. doesn't have to be, you know, I am the supervillain bent on destroying the world. You just show someone else nasty who wants the same thing that the protagonist wants and then set them against each other in an exotic location and you have an adventure story. I was watching an episode of Leverage. We mentioned this last week. Uh, I mentioned it last week. Sorry. Bring it up again. <laughs> uh, where Elliot's, uh, or Christian Kane's character, Elliot, uh, is posing as a cook and seeing him in a kitchen catering a wedding when not everybody else knows what they're doing was it was a whole new adventure side for him because he's cleaving vegetables and and being super competent and moving with all the grace that he fights with, and yet he's not fighting anybody. He's making food. You know, Leverage and Ocean's Eleven and some others are good examples of kind of primarily ensemble stories that have a lot of adventure in them. Ocean's Eleven has so many great adventure scenes where it's not 
a fight, it's a conversation. Mm-hmm. Or it is, it's, you know, I'm locked in a room. Or it's two characters who have to yeah. accomplish something that are on the team. They're like, you guys go do this thing. And you get that same kind of little mini adventure puzzle solving. How are they mm-hmm. going to get out of this? Wow, that was so awesome. But they were just talking to each other. And, you know, watching someone lie really successfully is a fantastic adventure scene. All right. So, Christina asks, are there tropes that have been overdone that need to be avoided? in regards to adventure fiction. And this is a good question. I'm glad she asked this. Um, The point of what we're doing is to distill down what about an adventure works. We're not actually talking about the surface-level adventure fiction. I'm sure, you know, you could say, all right, for a while, dark jungles and idols were overdone um, because Indiana Jones did them too much or, you know, Solomon's Mines or something like that. Um, But that's not what we're looking at with our discussion of adventure fiction, we're looking at the deeper level of what do you get from that and transposing it. But do you think there are any things that are overdone in this? Well, one thing that I want to say is that the people a lot of times get confused by the word trope and think that it is a bad thing. And yeah. a trope is an ingredient. Yep. Um, and you can, you know, you could argue that an entire dinner made of nothing but chocolate would be overusing the trope <laughs> of chocolate. I think that that would be a hard sell. Yeah. But but no one is going to really complain. It's like, what, chocolate again? Um, so when you're looking at the trope, it is not so much the trope itself, but what you're doing with it and the ingredients that you combine it with. Yeah, it's easy uh, in adventure, uh, in elemental adventure uh, of any sort of modern kind, we have car chases a lot. And you can argue that the car chase, we mentioned this last week, the car chase in a heist is is a trope of the heist. It's a piece that is regularly there. If you do it the way everybody else does a car chase, you might have a problem. But if you do it the way everybody else has a car chase and there is a conversation happening during that car chase that is fresh and interesting and exciting, then then we're probably fine with it. And so you just, you got to understand why you're using these pieces. Yeah. We, we talked so much about, you know, ways to make a scene do multiple things. You can make this dialogue more interesting by having a car chase during it. When, when I think the, the adventure thing that falls down the most is when adventure is the only thing that that scene is doing. Mm. Yes. I find when I'm watching movies and TV shows, increasingly, I will just not pay attention to the fight scenes because yeah. I know that nothing important is going to happen except... They'll punch each other for a while, and then it'll be done. That has ruined several movies for me recently because it's like, oh, 45 minutes of people punching each other. It doesn't have the cleverness of Jackie Chan using the environment. It's mm-hmm. just explosion after explosion with no character. I am bored out of my yeah, skull. So, yeah. so if that adventure scene, whether it's a fight or a chase or an explosion or whatever, if you're not also advancing the plot or revealing stuff about characters, that's when you're using the tropes wrong. Yeah, one thing that uh, a friend of mine, uh, Margaret Dunlop, who's a screenwriter, said is that she defines the difference between an obstacle and a complication as an obstacle just gets in the way and a complication changes the story. And I think that when we're looking yeah. at adventure, at mm-hmm. a fight scene that's just a fight scene, yes, it's exactly. just an obstacle. It's not right. doing anything. But it's the an ones- obstacle to my enjoyment of the movie. Yes. <laughs> and and now what? it's let's pause yeah. the plot. Let's pause the plot for ten minutes while cars chase each other around, mm-hmm. and a then we'll get back one to the of story again. Can add some spice and be sure. fine. It's when the story starts relying only on that. Um, 
Hey writers, are you thinking about learning a new language? I think exploring the world, experiencing other cultures, and being able to communicate with people outside your everyday experience lets you create richer, better stories. A great way to do that is with Rosetta Stone, a trusted expert for over 30 years with millions of users and 25 languages offered. They use an immersive technique which leads to fast language acquisition. It's an intuitive process that helps you really learn to speak, listen, and most of all think in the language you're trying to learn. They also feature true accent speech recognition technology that gives you feedback on your pronunciation. It's like having a voice coach in your home. Learn at home or on the go with a desktop and mobile app that let you download and access lessons even when you're offline. And it's an amazing value. A lifetime membership gives you access to all 25 languages, including Spanish, French, Italian, German, Japanese, and, of course, Korean. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, Writing Excuses listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com today. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. But yeah, I, I love what's been said here. We do have to move on oh, yes. to our book there- of the week. <laughs> I, I, I want to talk about that one more, but I think there's some <laughs> questions that'll get us that direction as well. Mary, you're going to tell us our book of the week. That's right. So the book of the week is Aleph, or Aleph the Unseen, excuse me, by G. Willow Wilson. Um, it's narrated by Sanjeev Javari. I loved this book. I picked it up blind um, in a bookstore, and it is, it's adventure. Mm-hmm. But it is it is a wonderful example of blending a lot of these different things because it is um, it's a cybercrime novel in which the main character winds up 
getting hooked up with genies and going into a fantasy world where he has to deal with cyber... So it's totally, it's like cyberpunk and secondary world fantasy. And there's also this adventure because there's all kinds of car chases and sometimes not cars, sometimes flying carpet chases. But it's, it is wonderful at the, the, all of the different elemental genres she is combining in there. It's great, beautiful character, fantastic world building and setting. I loved this book. And I, I kept turning the pages and going, you did not just, oh my God, you did. You did. <laughs> it's great. That is excellent. And they can uh, start a 30-day trial at Audible uh, by going to audiblepodcast.com slash excuse. And they can download um, Alif the Unseen for free. Mm-hmm. Um, this actually transitions really well into the next question, which is going to, I'm going to point at you, but anyone can answer this because someone asks, um, do you have any suggestions for non-Western, non-traditional styles of adventure that could provide variety or a fresh take on things for readers? And you spent a whole year reading non-Western yeah, stories. So I, yes. Um, I, so last year I decided that I was going to read things that were not written by Americans. Mm-hmm. So I guess it wasn't non-Western, but it was non-American. Right. It was non-American. Mm-hmm. Um, and... Yes, there's a whole bunch of fantastic adventure things. Um, I read, uh, I mean, it's Western, but something set in Finland. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yes, absolutely, you can go other places. And one of the things that I would recommend if you want to do that is actually to grab books and read them. Mm -hmm. Because if if you just look at it and go, oh, this would be nice set dressing, you're not really going to take advantage of, of the place. And adventure is very much about about the place and and the connection of the character to the environment and the way all of that plays around. Did you notice anything in them that, you know, were different styles of adventure? We've talked about the dialogue as adventure um, and the that sort of thing. Was there anything in any of these books that was an adventure that, as we normally wouldn't conceive it, but still evoke the same emotion? I'm kind of putting you on the spot. Yeah, I have to uh, give what, it- Why don't you think about that? And I'll point another question at Oh, Dan's got I actually have an answer to this Okay, go for it. Um, I I have a new baby, (laughs) which means that uh, I have to watch TV with the sound turned off. So in other words, over the last couple months, I think I've watched every kung fu movie on Netflix. (laughs) Um, And one of the things that has stood out to me that that strikes me as a distinctly non-Western form of storytelling is very often in Chinese movies, the final fight will come down to the bad guy and a whole group of heroes. Yep. And in American stuff, we always have this, no, I have to face it alone. And the Chinese mindset seems to be, well, if you can defeat him all by yourself, he's not much of a bad guy. You're going to need your sidekick and this other guy to help you. And that just, I don't know what I can tell you to go do with that information, but it stood out to me as something very non-Western. Yeah, uh, and that was one of the reasons that I was spending a lot of time staring at the ceiling when Brandon asked me that, is that, there there were a lot of non-Western. Right. But to talk about what they are. Yeah. Um, the, just, book, just, the, the book that I would tell people mm-hmm. to uh, to read, um, actually grab anything by Nettie Okorafor, because mm-hmm. her books have a lot of adventure elements in them, but their structure is very much not the traditional uh, Anglo-American story structure where mm-hmm. it is... 
here is my problem, and now here is I will go do these things, and I will be awesome, and here's my solution, and solved. Um, the problems are often uh, more layered, and, and they're very – a lot of the books that I was reading, the problems that people were facing were very much societal uh, – yeah, it was just if there. So go read a bunch. Yeah. Of them go read a bunch. Yeah. One of the challenges that we have go read a bunch is of that stuff. not only are we steeped in the Western fiction, mm-hmm. we're also steeped in the Western terminology. Yeah, and we. I don't even know how to describe the things that are happening in Princess Mononoke that make it different from the other things that I watch. But I can tell that it's different. That the structure is weird. Well, let me let me use an example because this is actually this is an adventure mm-hmm. story. Uh, Karen Lord's um, All Possible, Best of All Possible Worlds. Um, her main character uh, goes off into the the hinterlands and has to solve a whole bunch of different things. For me, I kept looking for the bad guy, mm-hmm. and this was a story where there was no bad guy. It was about her needing to apply her skills to overcome a lot of different problems. The problems were not directly linked. They were linked to an underlying societal issue, but it was not, this is something that we have to fix. It was, this is the way things are, and I have to deal with the fact that this is the way things are. So it the first time I read the book, I bounced off of it a little bit because I was I kept waiting for the the conflict to emerge because that's what I've been trained mm-hmm. to read. And the second time I read it or, or attempted it, I had been reading a lot of other books and realized that that was not the way this structure worked. So it's still right. go read a lot, of, read things, a lot but, of things. But Karen Lord's all possible best of all possible worlds is excellent. I'm going to end us on a, on a question that was repeated three or four times in different forms by people. Um, They're talking about the journey, the journey that's often part of adventure fiction. How do you make the journey exciting? Do you have to include all the details to it? And really interestingly, if you skip a bunch of it, how do you get across to the reader the character moments that might have taken place during the parts that you skip of the journey? Okay, so... (laughs) (laughs) First answer is to think hard about what you're trying to accomplish. Mm-hmm. And and thinking of the fantasy adventures that I have read, you know, in Lord of the Rings, the journey is the whole point. Yep. Uh, not so in the movies, but in the books, you get 95% of that book, which is about where we went and what we ate and what songs we sang while we were there. And, you know, in contrast to that, um, you know, the, the Bernard Cornwell Saxon Chronicles jump to mind, which are adventure stories that are essentially fantasy, even though they're historical, mm-hmm. but the the plot is entirely focused on, we did this, and then we left, and a paragraph later, we got somewhere else and did another thing. Um, and it just depends on what kind of story you're trying to tell, Basically, okay. is, is, which answers one of those three questions. Right. Yeah, I, I, I would think say of, skipping the boring parts is a good idea. Mm-hmm. Try to skip the boring parts, and by definition those parts won't have big character moments. We accept the fact when we're reading a story, it's one of these suspension things we do, that characters will change more dramatically because of specific moments that we show to evoke their character arc to you as the reader. And really the, the illusion is that they're changing all along and we're seeing these important points. So you don't have to show every moment of that. You can show those points and the reader will fill in the rest 
and create a character arc for them. One of the things about this is that I think this is actually something that is in some ways easier to do in short fiction than it is Mm. in novels. In short fiction, we will accept a lot more readily the, we're going to show you this moment and we're going to jump and just show you this tiny little character moment and then jump. Whereas in a novel, if you jump and you show a character moment that's only five minutes long, you know, like that that's a, a half a page, yeah. it's going to feel jarring. out of balance yeah. and jarring. Mm-hmm. So I think one of the things you can do with that is looking at how to combine those moments so that they happen more together, mm. so that they aren't happening. They overlap. Yeah. Good idea. Yeah, that's a really good suggestion. Now, because I mentioned the Saxon Chronicles, it occurs to me that my single absolute favorite scene of the entire nine book so far series is a moment of, of travel. It's a journey. And it's when the main character is on a boat in the North Sea and sees a whale for the first time. And it is this absolutely kind of primordial monster coming up out of the unknowable ocean in the year, you know, 1200, whatever. And uh, it, it was incredibly powerful. And it didn't necessarily add any character. And it didn't advance the plot. But it's my favorite scene of the entire series. And so, like Brandon said, skip the boring parts. But if you can find a, a way to make that journey not boring, yeah. put it in. That's even better. Absolutely. Make the journey not boring. Yeah. Um, I'm going to have to to shut it down here. I'm sorry for all of you that put questions. There were 54 responses, um, and we answered like seven of them, if that many. But um, we uh, thank you very much for listening, and we are going to point you at some homework for next time for our next elemental genre. So I want you, for your homework, to make a list of set pieces, really cool places that people could visit. And I then want you to go a step further, and I want you to say, how does my main character entering this place, interacting with this place, change who they are? We don't want you to just go to cool places. We want those cool places to change your story and change your characters in interesting ways. And that is what I think will make adventure fiction kind of go up a level for you. Now, as I said, we'll be moving on to horror next week. Uh, we want you to brace yourselves for that. Uh, Dan's going to, uh, going to make you afraid. Um, but until then, this has been Writing Excuses. You're out of excuses. Now go write. This episode of Writing Excuses has been brought to you by our listeners, patrons, and friends. If you would like to learn how to support this podcast, visit www.patreon.com slash writing excuses. Writing Excuses is a Dragonsteel production, jointly hosted by Brandon Sanderson, Dan Wells, Mary Robinette Kowal, and Howard Taylor. This episode was mastered by Alex Jackson. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.
Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.